Bible is a collection of six, six books. Now, if you are not careful, you can just draw your own meanings from that. And even though the revelation of what God has given is true, our interpretation of that revelation may be false. And so we do theology so that we can understand God more, so that if we understand God more, we can worship God better in the world that God created and God governed. Do we understand that? God created a world. God governs this world. We are put into the, in the world. If we have to live in that world and understand God the way he would want us to be and so that we can flourish, it's important for us to understand the truth about God that he has revealed in the Bible. But that comes when we try to put the truths, we try to understand the truths that he's revealed in the Bible through theology that he has, um, through the theology that comes from the Bible. Wow. So with that, we've been treating a number of topics. This one we've been treating, hopefully this will be the last of it. We've done two of it, and it's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Now, remember I said that the reason we do theology is to understand the way God has, has, has created the world and therefore how we can flourish in the world is created. Now, what we saw in the first two is that this world that God has created, there's more to it than meets the eye. Right? There's more to this world than meets the eye. So, for instance, I'm speaking, I'm not shouting. Toby, right at the end there, can hear what I'm saying effortlessly. Why? Why can't she hear me? Because there's something that exists here now that is more than, that more than meets the eye. Amen? Right? There are radio waves, or, or yeah, I think it's radio, it's not microwaves. Radio waves that are going from this mic sending it to a receiver somewhere there. The receiver is then blasting it into the speakers, and that's why we can hear the amplified voice. So in other words, the world that God has created is complex. Not everything that we see is, not everything, that, sorry, not everything that we see, who's going to help me complete that? The world is much more than what we see. How about that, right? See, it's that... You start going into theology, you start speaking English that you don't understand. All right, so part of the other things we don't see is there is a, another world. Now, when I'm talking about radio waves, I'm not talking about personalities. But actually, there's another world we don't see. Let's call it the spiritual world, where there are personalities, personal beings there. And if in this particular world that we have now, here, the one we can see, the world that we live in, the country that we live in, we can understand that there's something like good and evil. Something like good and evil, right, in this world. There's such a thing as morality. We, that's what we live by. Well, if it exists in this world, it actually exists in the world that we do not see. And what we've basically said is that good is to be ultimately aligned with God. Whether it is in the world we see or the world we cannot see. Good is to be ultimately aligned with God. To be opposed, to oppose God or to be in opposition to God is what we call evil, all right? Is what we call evil. Now, the ultimate adversary of God, the one who stands in the place of evil is who we call Satan. God is the embodiment of good. Satan is the embodiment of evil, all right? However, when you hear that, we're not talking about two gods of equal power and might. In fact, Satan was created. So the fact that he's evil 
the evil one, the embodiment of the evil one, and God is the embodiment of good, doesn't mean that they are equals. Now, God spreads his good throughout the world through what we call advancing his kingdom. Right? He advances his kingdom, and that kingdom comes in opposition to Satan's own kingdom. Now, I'm just giving summary of what we've done before. It just it comes in direct opposition or conflict with Satan's kingdom. Now, this is where we then get into the crux of spiritual warfare. Because most times, when we think about it, we just think about demons, we think about people foaming in the mouth and all that. That's not what fundamentally it is. Spiritual warfare is fundamentally a battle between good and evil. God standing behind good and Satan standing behind evil. And then it is about the spreading of that God's good by the spreading of his kingdom, which comes in direct opposition to Satan's kingdom. Are we together? At the core, and tomorrow maybe you'll bring that first slide up, at the core of, at the core of spreading that God's kingdom, at the core of, and this is the core of spiritual warfare, is that God's kingdom is spread via the gospel. Do we understand that? What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news about what he has accomplished in his son, Jesus Christ. You think about his incarnation, Jesus coming into the world, the God, uh, God, who, the, God the Son coming into the world, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his coming back to life from the grave, his ascension and coronation, that is, when he went back, remember he came from heaven, so he went back to heaven, and now he's the ruler of God's kingdom. And then finally, his return. When you believe this news, truly with your heart, when you repent and you believe this news, you've received the gospel. What happens is, you are then transferred from the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, and now you are transferred into the kingdom of light. That is what spiritual warfare is about at its core. Amen? Somebody is delivered from the dominion of evil in Satan's kingdom and is now brought into the dominion of light in God's kingdom. That happens because of the gospel. This is the core of spiritual warfare. I hope we get that. Now, that's the core. But there's more that is happening than is at the core. What is that? You saw there were different rings there. So there are four different, um, you know, like a pebble that is thrown into a... Last time I said pebble that is thrown into stone. Everybody started abusing me. Like a stone that is... Like a stone that is thrown into... Into the gutter. Uh -huh. uh, eh? Water. Gutter, water, water. Like a okuta that is thrown into water. There are ripples there, right? The core is the stone that gets into the water. But then you have ripples, effects that go on. So because of what God has accomplished in the gospel, the spread of God's kingdom has reverberative effects. Are you understanding? And so these reverberative effects are, if you like, implications of the other aspects of, of um, spiritual warfare. So you fight spiritual warfare at these levels, but the core is the gospel. If you get rid of the gospel as a motivating factor, you are, you are, you are, you are engaging in another war, but it is not spiritual warfare in the mind of God. Do we understand? And so we said, oh, at the next level is what you can call, uh, sorry, so when you have the gospel, the first level is kingdom propagation through evangelism, 
gospel preaching so that when people respond to that, they are being transferred. That's the first level when you take the gospel. The second level is because you are trying to prepare for the propagation of the gospel. There are things that you have to do. And that is also spiritual warfare. So our behavior, how we behave as a means to draw people to come and listen to the gospel is a way of engaging in spiritual warfare. How we, um, uh, 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 we uh, pray for the advance of the gospel is a means of spiritual warfare. How we plant churches, people who deal in Bible uh, translation so that others can hear the gospel because they can read it now in their own language. All of that is preparation. It's part of spiritual warfare. On the outer ring of that is what you can call kingdom demonstration. That is because of the power of the kingdom, because of the power that resides in God's kingdom, there is an exchange, if you like, of power. And that can come whether it is through direct spiritual engagement in what we can call exorcisms or deliverance or what have you, or through healing, divine healing, or through uh, ideological warfare, right, or through what we call apologetics, breaking down arguments and bringing them into submission and obedience to Christ. Amen. And then on the last ring, outer ring, is aspects of social justice. People, because of the evil that Satan has motivated, are being brought into penury, are being brought into oppression, are being brought into all manner of, um, of evils. And so fighting those things, those battles, come, uh, going with a gospel motivation to try to end you know, uh, uh, um, um, things like illiteracy, among young girls, uh, things like battling, uh, sexual slavery, all of those kinds of things, motivated by the gospel, knowing that it comes from the kingdom of darkness, is an aspect also of spiritual warfare. But notice where, what ring it, 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 um, it features in. The same thing with if you are doing that at a policy, governmental level, but also cultural engagement, how we use the arts, how we use entertainment to tell a different narrative. Right? Maybe you're using movies to tell a different narrative that the Bible actually gives. So those are four levels of kingdom, of, um, of spiritual warfare. Having said that, that leads me to um, a saying that um, Yoruba people have. It's a proverb. You've probably heard this proverb before. It says that Kokorotun Jeffo. Finish it. Alright, follow. And then the non-Yorubas are looking like, that sounds deep, but I'm not sure what it means. Well, it's deep because I'm the one that said it. You know, I have my daily dose of Yoruba proverbs. It's, uh, yeah, I just try to keep up with the, with the culture, with the wisdom of ages. That's the only Yoruba proverb I can quote, actually. <laughs> Been learning it for a while. But, what it's basically saying is, the insect that chews the leaf, it's doing so as it's upon the leaf. Mm. <laughs> you know that. Eh? Deep stuff. It's, it can't be inside the leaf. Now it's on top of the leaf, Taiwo. I can't even be inside the leaf. 
Arabe, for this, okay, whatever. It's perching on the leaf, it's on top of whatever. But you guys think about that. Huh? Have you ever thought of, okay, have you ever, you, you, no, some of you are mocking. You are mocking these Yorubas. You don't know how deep it is. Some of you have eaten puff puff today. Can you imagine standing on puff puff and eating the puff puff? Exactly. Uh -huh. You can't. But the insect does it, and it took Yoruba people to understand that. So what's your problem? Put back the pic. Put the picture back. We're going to have a, a good theological lesson. The insect that is biting, that is eating the leaf, is on top of the leaf. Oh. It's inside, is on top, is under the leaf. Take, take the one that pleases you. Notice what happened when I showed you, all right, together. Notice what happened when I showed you those, notice what, when I showed you those rings. That is all spiritual warfare from the standpoint of an external enemy. That is all spiritual warfare from the standpoint of an external enemy. That is the end, or let me say the, the external activities of the enemy. The enemy without. You are combating people that are oppressing people that's out somewhere outside. You are combating people who believe something different. That's something outside. But what that proverb is telling us is that if you are not careful, if you think that the enemy is always outside, you will be defeated by an enemy that is within. The insect that chews on the leaf is inside, is inside the leaf itself. Far too often when we think about spiritual warfare, what we do is that by wholly making it only about the external, and we personalize that external, we are totally unaware of the internal that is happening. We focus so much on the enemy without, and we forget that there is an enemy within. And make no mistake, you will not win any kind of spiritual warfare if you don't start thinking about the enemy within. God never wants us to personalize the enemy without because once you start doing that, you think about your village people, you think about your boss, you think all of those people are your enemy that need to be brought down. But he says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So in other words, the enemy without should be seen as God's enemy. You take it to God. But there's an enemy within. That's your own. And so I want us to look at this subject. We'll conclude this entire uh, series with this subject about the enemy within. So let's start. Now the interesting thing about spiritual warfare is that our understanding of what the Bible teaches about it has very much to do with the part of the world that we live in, our personality type, and maybe our educational background as well. I mean, take for instance, if you are someone who was born and raised in the West, and maybe you are particularly well-educated and or well-educated or, and or you are very cerebral in the way you process information, very analytical. Most people that have any of those three tendencies that are Christians are way too skeptical about the devil and demonic influence in anything in their lives. 
It's very theoretical. It's there in the Bible, so I have to believe it. But there is nothing about their life that makes you think that they think that the devil is real. They just say, I'm a Christian. It has, the devil can have no effect on me because I'm in, I'm in Christ. You've not read the Bible well. Whereas those in Africa, Niger, and or who are less, maybe less educated, and or maybe they could be very well educated, but they are very intuitive. You know, people are intuitive. I just feel, my spirit just tells me that you're a witch. You know that kind? I don't know, there's something, my spirit just... If you are that, those kinds of people are way too gullible about what the devil is doing or is often not doing. Because the devil is everywhere. In fact, many times with those people, the devil is actually omnipresent. Right? He's, he's disturbing Solomon, but he's disturbing Delmo, and he's disturbing. The devil came to meet me today. The devil, ah, where is the devil? The devil everywhere. So one can be too skeptical, the other can be too gullible. And we need to recognize a lot of these are blind spots. But here's what we must know something that we said before that as God's enemy, if the devil is truly God's enemy, and you are God's child as a Christian, the devil is also your enemy, and he will do anything. He will use any means possible to enable us to join him in his destructive destiny. The destiny of the devil has already been written. You understand that? He just has a short time left. But he wants to carry as many people with him. And because you are his enemy, he wants to take you along. Now, we've seen how he does that externally, with external activities. Question is, does he also do some of these things Internally? Is it contrary to the first group? The more analytical, more educated, whatever. Contrary to them, the devil defeats them way too often. Why? Because he is way more involved and succeeds in your battle against him than you want to acknowledge. Whereas the other group that is so aware of the devil... He's often not as involved in the way you think. But the way he's involved, you actually don't see. So he defeats you also. So congratulations. If you're in both groups, the devil is succeeding against you. Group one, people raise up their hand. <laughs> you don't have to, but if I say people, point to group one people here. <laughs> you see, the hands that couldn't go like this will go this way, that way, you know. You see, the devil, when it comes to the internal, he often works through a proxy. Let me explain. Has anybody, have you ever done something wrong? Wait, I've not finished. Have you ever done something wrong that before doing it, you knew it was wrong? Everyone agrees, and before you do it, everyone agrees that this thing is wrong. God says this thing is wrong. Have you ever done something wrong? Yes. Knowing all of those things? Yes. Huh? Yes. Okay, but that one is not bad. But because you have the Holy Spirit, haven't been convicted of the Holy Spirit, haven't taken responsibility for the fact that you did this thing that was wrong, how many of us have gone ahead to do it again? Yes. And again. Yeah. And again. The devil is walking with you. <laughs> but 
It may be something like envy that you're like, why do I keep, why am I always envious of this or that person? It may be something like rage. Why do I just get, why am I quick-tempered? I know this thing is wrong. I, I know all the Bible scriptures about you, but why? Keep doing it. Or maybe lustful thoughts towards somebody that is not your spouse. Why? Or self-glorification once again. They gave you some, uh, some compliment and your, your mind has fantasized well and you have, this has been happening for 25 years. You have repented, you've gone out, they've done deliverance, they've, they took the demon out, you went for another one, they put him in because they were binding and they were loosing. You know, bind, loose, bind, loose. Do you ever feel like, I haven't gone through this over and over again, do you ever feel like even though you are the one that did it, even though you are the one that did it, do you ever feel like you are being motivated or controlled by something else? Maybe like another power. Do you ever feel like that on this particular issue? Like inside, yes, but I was, when the thing, when I eventually did it, when I was thinking, I was being moved by something else. How many of us felt like that? None of you. <laughs> okay, oh, nobody wants to admit. Yeah, look, I know you all seen. All right, no, no problems. I won't be asking that question. All right, I won't ask that question again. Now, if you have, it's because there is another power. And this is what the Bible calls the flesh. The flesh. You see, the devil, why does devil get human beings all the time? You know why? Because the Bible says that he's that old serpent. He was there from the very beginning. From the very beginning of when human beings were created, the devil was there. So the devil has had all these thousands of years to understand human beings. That's why he keeps getting us. Do you understand that? The devil is very familiar with human beings. So he creates schemes, generally, principles, and all of those things to catch human beings. But the difference between the flesh and the devil is, whilst the devil understands human beings in general, your flesh understands you in particular. While the devil creates all these different schemes and all of those things, he's trying to do it generally. It is your flesh that cooperates with the devil to get you in particular. It's the enemy that is within. Now, when we say the flesh, we don't mean this physical body, right? It's not this physical body. If you like, beat this body and say, I put my flesh under, it doesn't mean anything, all right? But we are talking about an evil power that generates the impulse to sin. It's an evil power within that generates the impulse to sin. Let's say that together. The flesh is an evil power within that generates the impulse to sin. But notice it's an evil power. And if it's an evil power, it will be in opposition to the one that generates the impulse to do what is righteous. And what is that one? That is God's spirit. Open to, let's see, Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. So I say, walk by, this, uh, by the spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. Now notice verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, so that you are not to do whatever you what? Want. 
you wanted to do a particular thing, but something kept moving you. They are in conflict. Notice what does conflict bring up? What does conflict conjure in your mind? Warfare, a battle. So where is, there is a battle between the spirit generating the impulse to do what is right and the flesh generating the impulse to sin, to do what is wrong. Where is the battleground? Your heart. That is, the flesh is this power that is somewhere here, if you like. The spirit is this power that is somewhere here. And they are battling, but the battleground is your heart. There is a conflict there. And this is what we can call internal spiritual warfare. They battle like this because, according to Romans 8.13, they are both trying to take you to two different destinies. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That is the second death that we've spoken about before. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So how do we go about this? How do we, especially the fact that it's within us. I mean, some of us are thinking, well, if me, I have, if my, I'm just the battleground. <laughs> what can I do now? Let me just wait for them to fight the battle. <laughs> and then when they're finished, I'm sure the spirit will win. <laughs> Do we just allow the two of them to fight it out and we have nothing to play? Well, we, let's look at what the Bible says really about this warfare. Let's keep going. I was watching a, a celebrity interview recently in preparation for this talk, as I often do, celebrity interviews. Um, but the lady was asked what she dislikes the most. You know what she said she dislikes the most? The first thing that came out of her mind. She said she dislikes generalizations. Generalizations. You know what generalizations are? She said she doesn't like it when people put people in boxes. Who likes being put in a box? I'm claustrophobic. I don't like being put in a box. But who likes, you know what I mean by, you know, somebody, somebody saying, they, they all of a sudden like, they're like, How, why do you think, why do you think I, I would like that? I would even think I would like that kind of movie. I just thought that you are the kind of person, the kind of person. No, 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 no. Why do you think I won't like that kind of music? Who says I can't like classical music? Who says I can't? Do you? <laughs> Why do you assume that about me? I don't like people just thinking that they can put me in a box. And after we say all of those things, you know what we say after that? You don't even know me. There's something nice about, you know, being elusive. Nobody really knows you, you know. <laughs> Even though all the, all the evidence <laughs> seems to point to we should, you should be like this. So when we say, oh no, you can't, you can't, I don't want to put me in a box. You don't know me. I have this special this. I have this special that. I, I, am, I have this interest. Um, you know, okay. I feel like always asking when people say that is, so uncle, auntie, how can I know you? Because like, how, how is somebody meant to know you, since you are always misunderstood? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. Oh, we've not got into that place yet. In other words, I'm asking the question to us, how do we define ourselves? Because this is a question about identity. You don't know me. Don't put me in a box. I'm trying to 
identify you, but you are saying, no, the way you are trying to identify who I am, you are putting it in a box that doesn't fit. So it's a question of identity. How does somebody fundamentally know who you are? Samuel, how can I know who you are? How do you define? Ultimately, they say, Samuel, who are you? Is it just by a name? Samuel, what, what am I meant to know by that? Or is it by his ethnicity? What's your ethnicity? I'm not even sure what your ethnicity is. It's, it's a bit alpha additional. Like, it's not even Hausa, but it's somewhat middle belt-ish, north of the middle belt plus Yoruba. Like, it's, it's OK. So we won't use Samuel. <laughs> but if it's ethnicity, at least we know. Chioma, there's no, no debate about that, right? She's in the heart of Igbo land. No, eh? no, no, don't even try that. Uma here is, there's no, you don't become more Igbo than Uma here. Oh, that's true, actually. <laughs> Temi Dayo. Ah, no, no, no. Of uh, all these para places, you are not sure. Is it Yoruba? Is it? Ooh. Oh, how about me? I think, I think it's quite clear <laughs> as a, a son of the soil. Um, I'm from, uh, from Ijebu, I'm an Ijebu, a proud Ijebu man. I, I live on Ijebu land. Ah. <laughs> Permit me to just do this aside. Now, this is not part of the teaching, but since people want to know, I will tell you. There was a recent map shown in 1780 nice. about the different kingdoms of this, uh, this what we call Nigeria. It wasn't Nigeria then, were kingdoms. And so you had the Oyo Empire. The Oyo Empire took all these places that you have Oyo, Oshun, part of, a little bit part of Kwara, some of those places, but it was even going to Benin Republic. Then you had the Benin Kingdom. Benin Kingdom. Yes, you had all these. Uh, Benin, uh, all of those places that we, that Bendel, you know, Delta, all of those. But all you people from Ondo State, you are a Benin person. Let me just tell you, you are Benin. That's where you are. Ondo people are Korea, all of those places were there. <laughs> then there's, there was one other flourishing empire towards the south, a nice kingdom. It was called Ije it's called the Jebu Kingdom. And it had places like Ijebu Ode there, the center, the capital. There was no Ijebu Ibo there. We didn't see it. <laughs> it wasn't there. But Ikorodu, nice. Ikorodu was part, is part of the Ijebu kingdom. Ekpe, part of the Ijebu kingdom. But wait for it, wait for it. Leki was part of the Ijebu kingdom. What are you talking about? Leki. In other words, we are standing on reclaimed ground. This was taken away from my people. <laughs> so as I was saying, I'm a son, as a son of the soil. I have lived here. I eat here. I, I eat the soil. The soil. I almost can take this. I almost can eat the, you know, the sand. So welcome to our kingdom anyway. So could I define myself, my identity by my ethnicity? Is that my most fundamental identity? For some people, it is. The, the person from their kingdom, if you listen to Asari Dokuba when he was um, defending Jonathan, he said, Jonathan, I'm my person. I'm my mama picking. I don't feel the farm. It didn't matter what Jonathan did. But Jonathan was his tribal person. Why? Because his identity was fundamental in his ethnicity. So how do you define yourself? For some of us, it's by our 
abilities. For some of us, it's by our vocation. For some of us, it's by our family. For some of us, it's by our beliefs. Others, it's just by what we would like to be. You know, I'm a, I'm a wonderful singer. No, you're not. We have tried you, you auditioned you, you are not a good singer, you know. I like this thing, I like this music. You have never bought one album of the person that you are saying, but you like the person, you heard one song. I, what's so funny there? I, I touched on some people. Like, uh, okay. Eh? You caught, eh? Back to the Bible. So, now, but here's a word that com often comes, particularly in this modern day, with this identity thing. It is called authenticity. Everybody says, I want to just be authentic. And so when you hear things like, I just want to be me. So people like that often, whether or not the way they behave pisses most people off, they want to be accepted for that behavior. Why? Because that is who they are. That is how they can be authentic. The way they feel, the way they think, and how it is expressed, they say, whether you like it or not, you have to accept me like that. Why? Because that is who what I am. They judge who they are by the way they think, the way they feel, and the expressions that come from that. That is what is being defined as authentic. The Bible will not totally dismiss that as a way of defining your identity. But if you become a Christian, the Bible says that you cannot fully identify or define yourself by what is within. You also have to define yourself most fundamentally from what is without, externally. Are you getting my point? The authentic way of thinking comes, it says, this is who I am because this is what I feel. This is the interaction that goes on. This is what we have now with the, with whether it's the transgender issue or the, uh, the gay issue. It's how do I feel that is what I define myself by. The Bible says, if you become a Christian, you define yourself actually not from within, but externally. Now let me explain that. You see, when you become a Christian, you put your faith, you repent and you put your faith in Christ. This gives you a new status. Whether you are called a son, by faith you become a son. Well, by faith you become justified. By faith you are liberated. This gives you a new identity when you repent and you trust in Christ. In other words, as a result of the gospel, there is who I, was, I once was, and there is now who I now am. I'll say that again. As a result of the gospel, there is who I once was. You had an identity in the old. But there is also who I now, I, I now am. But here is the thing. If you take that authentic, authenticity uh, framework, I will know who this person now is. 100% by the behavior that they exhibit. Amen? So if you say now, I am a child of God, the way I will know this person is a child of God is because 100% of the time, they behave like a child of God. How many of you can raise up your hands and say, that is how I know I'm a child of God? Because that is near impossible, this is not how it happens. 
by faith and repentance, that I am now a child of God does not come first by your behavior. It comes before you start to behave. Do we understand that? It is something that is externally given to us. You see, the gospel has phases for its work in us. The final phase happens when Jesus Christ returns. And until that happens, you will not fully behave like who you now am. I'll put it another way. Because Jesus has not, because Jesus has not fully finished his work in us, because the gospel has not fully achieved its work in us, I do not fully behave like who I now am, and I am not totally rid of who I once was. Can I say it again? Because the gospel has not finished its effect in us, I do not fully behave like who I now am, and I am not totally rid of who I once was. So because of the gospel, or before the gospel, I would say Tedo is a sinner. That's his identity. He's a sinner. He looks like a sinner. He behaves like a sinner. He talks like a sinner. He walks like a sinner. If you walk, you talk, you behave like a sinner, you're what? Exactly. Sinner. But now, because of the gospel, because of the gospel, you can check Acts 28 verse 18, Acts 26 verse 18. Because of the gospel, through faith, in the first part of the gospel, through faith, Tedo that was once a sinner is now a saint. He says because you are sanctified by faith. In other words, he was just made clean by repentance and belief. He receives a new identity. Do you understand that? He has done nothing, but by faith, he has received that new identity as a saint. Here's the problem. He doesn't always behave like a saint. So what we can say about us, while Jesus hasn't returned, is that though we are saints, we are sinning saints. We are not sinners because you don't define the person by what they do. Our identity through the gospel is not defined by what we do. It's defined by what God calls us and he imputes upon us. However, we can't just say we are saints and all the effect of sin that we see in our lives should not be accounted for. So we take the noun and we qualify the noun by an adjective. I am a what? Sinning saint. Because even though God has done a particular work in me, there is still the presence of the flesh. Maybe I'll use Ephesians chapter 4, or Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4 to describe this. Because you see, fighting against the old behavior, the behavior of the sinner, fighting against the behavior of the sinner, and developing the behaviors of the saint is what this spiritual warfare is all about. Okay, let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, 7 to 10, and whatever. Notice what it says. It says, put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. Say earthly nature. Earthly nature. By saying earthly nature, it's saying that you have an ancestor. And that ancestor, well, he came from the earth. That ancestor fell, and he has passed his sin DNA to you. So by nature, I said, by nature, we are children of wrath. Because by one man, sin entered into the world. Do you understand that? 
So the things that belong, that is the things that the earthly nature produces, get rid of them. What are some of those things? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He then says you, because he's talking to Christians, you used to walk in these ways. That is, this was your lifestyle. Your lifestyle was, was consistent with your nature. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Remember the old. But now, why is he saying now? There was a past, but now there's something different about you. There's a new reality. Now, you must also rid yourself of all of such things. So there's more that it produces anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Also, do not lie to one another. Since you have, so this is what has happened now. The now is as a result of something radical that happened in your life. He says you have taken off the old self, and then what have you done with it? Practices. So all those things was, were the practices of the self. It wasn't just as though anger was attached to you or malice was attached to you. No. There was a self of the fallen nature that produces those things. No, he's saying you have taken off that old self. That's an identity. You've taken off that old self, and now what have you done? You have put on... There was an old self. There is now a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in knowledge in the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, that's sanctified, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself now. This new self produces what? Compassion, gentleness, and patience. So we're called to put to death that fallen, the things that belong to that fallen nature. The things that we once walked in. That walked in means that you are under its power, its total dominion. Remember, it's an old self because it's tied to the old man. That is Adam. But here's the thing. It says it has been taken off and then the new man has been put on. Right? Okay. Uh, Nanke, please join me. What happened? You are going to be an illustration. Okay. See Nanke now. Nanke is putting on. Can you put on your glasses? What's Nanke doing? What's Nanke doing? Is she, 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 okay, she's, she's looking cool. She's putting on what? She's putting on what? Her shades. All right. Nanke, take off the sheets. Think about it. Think about it. She took off the sheets. She put on the sheets, and she took them off. Simple. Now that she's not wearing the sheets, guess what? This whole place is bright. Isn't it? And she put, put on the sheets again. Well, they're in darkness, Abby. <laughs> All right, now can sit down. The thing she put on has its effect. When she puts it off, it also has its effect. 
How is it that it is saying, I have already put off the old man, and you are now telling me to put to, de uh, put to, uh, uh, to death the things that the old man produces? It's either I've put it on or I've put it off. How many of you used to read the scripture and just say, why am I still sinning? If I put on the new man, why are you then telling me to then further clothe myself with the things that the new man is meant to put on? Amen? You know why? Because the way you put on the new man is not first and foremost by something internally done in you. It is by the external work of faith. We put on the new man by faith. We put off the old man by faith. We repented and turned away by looking at Jesus on the cross. That is how we put off the old man. By faith. And then by looking to Jesus on the cross, we put on the new man by faith. Do you understand? But on, unlike Nanke's own Illustration, this is where illustrations fail you. When Nanke put off the shades, when she put off the shades, really this is what happened. Come back. <laughs> no, no, put on the shades again. Yes. Now remove the shades. But what kind of shades are these? Did they break? Did they break? Did they break? I'll, I'll pay for it. Okay. They are Ray-Ban, so they are fine. So she stood it and then... That's one way. Another way could be she put off the shades and then... Hang on. The shades are still present. We have put off the old man in that... By faith, we have been transferred from one dominion to another. We live in another kingdom. But that old man is still present. And that is why its effect can still happen. It's not that you stop being a child of God. It's that the effect of the old man is still there because he isn't present. He's still present. When Jesus comes to return and finish his work, what does he deal with? He deals with the presence of sin. He removes it. The first thing he deals with in the gospel is that you have, you, the consequences or the penalty of sin is done away with. While we await his return, the battle that we fight is to keep ridding ourselves from the power of sin. When he returns, he will deal with the presence of sin. Do we understand that? So while Paul is he's not, he's not double speaking, he's saying that you have put off the old man by faith, you put on the new man by faith, but because the old man is still present, what this whole spiritual warfare is about is that which is present, stop it from having dominion over you because there is a reality that already exists. Are we together? Yeah. Or maybe I can even push it further. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verse 22, 24, it also refers to this old man and new man. But after talking about that, notice what it then says in verse 25, 27, 29, 32. Now, it says, you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, 
for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down see, you are, um, while you are still angry. Do not give what? The devil the foothold. And then later it says again, unwholesome talk, all of those things. But verse 30, what does it say? Do not grieve the... Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So now you still see again this warfare is going on. On the one hand, flesh you, you are there. But on the other hand, he's saying there is a proxy war going on here. All these things, anytime you do any of those things there, there's falsehood, there's rage, there's anger. He's saying you are grieving the Holy Spirit that has been given to you. Now notice, you can't grieve, you can't grieve who is not yet in you. Amen? I have a relationship with my wife. There is a relationship with my wife. We are married. I can show you our wedding certificate, right? We are married. We live together. We've made babies. We talk to each other. But sometimes, men are foolish. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Sometimes I do foolish things, stupid things. And I grieve her. Do you understand? But I can't grieve somebody that I'm not married to. Amen? And so when we do these things, it is significant that the Holy Spirit is present with us. He owns us. You are not of Christ if you don't have the Spirit of Christ. So the admonition, this spiritual warfare, is to say the things that the Spirit does not produce, stop doing them because the Spirit will be grieved. And when you do them, for those of you who say the devil cannot do anything to me, what are you doing? Giving a foothold to the devil. But I should say something in closing this particular aspect and then get into some more. Notice the very last thing it says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another how? Huh? This is the best news you should ever hear in this whole thing. When we fight, it is not just behavioral modification. You are trying to modify do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. As Christians, this Christian life is not simply, it's not simply a don't do this, don't do that. The spiritual warfare is not simply don't do this, don't do that. The spiritual battles we face are hinged and they're built upon the foundation of a spiritual war that has already been won. Amen? That is, he's saying, Forgive as God has forgiven you in Christ. Not forgive, as I like to say, there are reasons you can forgive people. There are many reasons you can forgive people. Like there are many reasons my wife can forgive me. I, 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 I can ask my wife. Um, there are many reasons I want my wife to forgive me, right? Because if she doesn't forgive me, she can poison my food. <laughs> it's true. It's true. When my, if my wife cooks for me, I don't check it. I, I don't even know whether my prayers are even like, it's my wife. Now, if my wife is angry with me, hey, the person that is cooking your food is angry with you, and you are not eating like that. So I can apologize so that you forgive me so that I will not be poisoned. I can apologize for her to forgive me so that she will not turn her, my children against me. Do you understand? There are different motivations for why you should forgive. 
But when you're, you will, you will, you will ask, your motivation is hinged on your greatest desire. If your greatest desire is because you want to preserve yourself, you are still in bondage. But if your greatest desire to forgive somebody is because you know that God has forgiven you in Christ, then you are standing upon the war that has been won on your behalf. Go ahead and fight your battle. So the spiritual warfare is based on the gospel. It is hinged on the gospel. We work because of what God has already done. Amen. Any kind, remember the external thing that I showed you? What was at the heart of the external warfare? What was at the heart of it? It's the same thing with the spiritual. This is why holiness movements, churches that say, get rid of TV, don't use uh, deodorant, don't wear, um, uh, I don't know why they say that one, by the way, honestly, because that one itself is the spiritual battle, just trying to get it, right? Don't use earrings. Don't, 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 don't. Why shouldn't we do it? Because life is hard. How many people do you see there that eventually come and you say this person has a beauty inside? They look like life is stressing them. And they make, they make life stressing for you because it's stressing for them. Do you understand? Because there is no joy. If you try to fight this war without the Holy Spirit, you will not have joy. Because righteousness, peace and what? Joy is the Holy Spirit. is the kingdom of God. But if you fight, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So on account of that, don't yoke yourself again with the bondage of slavery and sin. When you fight from the standpoint of what Christ has done, you will not only be more effective, you will look more like Christ. So, very quickly, let us now go, very quickly, let's go into the fight. Because the reason why most of us lose, it's not that Christ hasn't done it. The reason why most of us lose, apart from not being genuine Christians, I'm not really talking about that, I'm talking to Christians. Right? Sometimes some people think they're Christians, they're not Christians, that's why you keep losing the battle. But why do a lot of Christians lose this battle? I'll tell you very simple. If you go to a war, you need to be strong, isn't it? If you are weak, what will happen? You will lose. It's because most of us are spiritually weak. Proverbs 24, verse 10. If you falter in the time of trouble, it's what? How small is your strength? That's why. Our strength is small. If I may use this analogy also. If you have weak muscles, weak muscles, hmm? if you have weak muscles, you know there are limitations of things you can do, right? The kind of weight you can lift. Maybe if you have weak muscles, you can just lift two to four kg, something like that. And be deceiving yourself and be happy they are doing something. If you help make it 5-5 five, five here now, you'll be, <laughs> God, the muscles are weak, right? If you have weak muscles, you may not be able to stand, you may not be able to do, you know, jump, all these sort of jump and squat things and all of that. Why? It can't carry your body because the, your leg muscles are weak, isn't it? If you have weak muscles, you'll be limited in the things that you can do. So what do we then do when we have weak muscles? To try to increase our limitations, what do we do? Eh? We exercise, we go to the gym, we train to do what? To strengthen the muscles, isn't it? So when we strengthen the muscles, all of a sudden our limitations are moved, our capacity is increased, we're able to do more, isn't it? Remember it says that if you fall, if you fall in the day of trouble, it is because your strength is... 
And so what we need to do is to develop our strength. Because notice this. I said if you have weak muscles, you won't be able to do certain things. But having weak muscles is not the same thing as the absence of muscles. Somebody that has no muscles is what? Eh? Is dead, basically. Someone that, do you understand? You can't, you can't do anything. What you need is for that person to be raised back to life. But when you have weak muscles, there are muscles there. What needs to happen is they need to be strengthened. So when we're talking about spiritual warfare internally, what we need is to be strengthened in our godliness, to be trained in our spiritual vitality. That's what Paul essentially says. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7. Look at it. Train yourselves to be for physical training is of some value. Thank you for the KJV translation title. But godliness has value for all things. Godliness is, remember, the reward for godliness is, is valuable for all things. So train yourself to be godly. So it's paralleling physical training with godly training. Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly because not only does it have value in the life to come, it has value in this life as you fight your spiritual battles. Amen? So train yourself to be godly. So how do we do this? This is what I want to end with. Galatians 5 gives us a two-pronged strategy. Two-pronged strategy. Look at Galatians 5, 16, 24 to, 26, uh, to 25. Galatians it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the two ways is basically what you see there. Crucifixion and crucifixion and walking. Walking or keeping in step. But since I like food, I want to change those two into a food metaphor. We can call it starving and feeding. Starve the monster, feed the angel. And notice you always do that. If you want to save a dying company, if you want to save a dying company, if you come to a dying company, what is a dying company? They are losing money, just losing money, losing money, and they are not able to bring in any income. What is the first thing you do? You stop where? You stop the leakages from where they are just losing money. And then the next thing is, as you are able to do that, you try to develop them to now start to produce money again. Do you understand? If you see a patient, somebody has been shot, and the person is bleeding, what's the first thing you do? Give them vitamins. Give them blood tonic. No, you stop what? The bleeding. But when you stop the bleeding, that person is still very weak. So when you take them to the hospital, it's now having to you give them the things that will help them produce blood more, and then they become strong. Do you understand? You stop, you, you stop the bleeding, but at the same time, you still have to build them up. And that is what Paul is saying. You see, let's take the first one, starving. In verses 19 to 22, you know this thing when it says, the acts of the flesh, the works of the flesh are these things, right? So we are told what the acts of the flesh are, right? The things that the flesh produces. But here we are told that we must crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. The desires of the flesh is called epithumia in Greek. Epithumia in Greek, which is basically a longing. It is the longing, the longing, a, an inordinate desire that produces the acts of the flesh. Do we understand that? The acts of the flesh, the actions, are produced by a longing. You first love, 
before you act. You love what is wrong, and that produces actions that are wrong. Amen. Now, notice what Paul says when he says we should fight. Paul did not say, notice what he didn't say. He did not say eliminate the flesh. He didn't say crucify the flesh, did he? Actually, in Greek, he's crucify the flesh with his passions and desires. So he didn't say you should crucify, like you can eliminate the flesh. You know why? You can't eliminate the flesh. It's impossible. You can't eliminate the flesh. is going to be there. When Jesus Christ gives you a resurrected body, that's when the flesh will go. You can't eliminate the flesh itself. It's impossible. Neither did Paul say eliminate the acts of the flesh. Those actions. He didn't say crucify the actions of the flesh. He tells us the actions of the flesh, verses 19 to 22. But he did not say crucify the actions of the flesh. He did not say crucify the flesh. He says crucify its passions and its desires. The epithumia that produces those actions is what you should crucify. The longings that produces those acts is what you should crucify. Too often we focus the battle on the acts. And that's why we lose. I'll give you an example. A lot of the uh, people who struggle with pornography that I've counseled, they will tell you this when people just say, why are you watching porn? Stop it. I'm not talking about somebody that just flippantly watched porn. I'm saying somebody that has an addiction. Why are you watching porn? Just stop it. They will tell you how difficult it is to stop it. Because by simply just telling them stop it, do you think they didn't want to stop it if they are Christians? Do you think they don't feel shame about it? So simply telling them stop it doesn't work. That is focusing on the action, the acts of the flesh. If you try and crucify the acts, what happens? The desire that produces the act just keeps producing more. Amen. That desire, when it's fed, it keeps growing and growing. The appetite keeps increasing. And so you must fight it at the root of the appetite. So, for instance, if you are that kind of person who is addicted to porn, what you fight, what you crucify, is not just the action. You need to disengage from watching videos that show soft porn. Yes, you have put away the porn itself, but for you, I'm not talking about everybody, you shouldn't be watching anything I retain and say the story is very good and then there's somebody that's just topless because you know it's going to trigger you. That longing comes again, and before you know it, you are looking for the thing that it terminates in. Disengage with sexually charged writing. Stop reading those books. Don't read Fifty Shades of Grey. None of you should even read Fifty Shades of Grey anyway. Right? Don't read sexually charged books. Even if it was just two of the, uh, 10 of the 200 pages, when it, just get, when it gets there, when it just flips, they say you won't really understand the, the, the plot, then drop the book. Jesus said... Jesus said it is better to enter into what? Eternal life without one eye. If that eye causes you, do you understand? You're like, give me another book. Disengage from suggestive texting. If you, are, if you are dating somebody, you know, don't at 10 p.m. say, so what are you wearing this night? Why? Why? What, 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 what is what she's wearing right now? Why does that have any? But no, I was just asking. I was just asking because we need to know each other. Right? And so I'm just asking. Nothing. Do you see? That is engaging with something that, that, that titillates that desire. 
Disengage from conversations with people that usually go in that direction. Stop saying you are trying to bond with the boys. You and the boys will go to hell together. <laughs> you see, because when people who stay away from sweet food or the things that remind them about sweet food, you are, dealing, you are trying to deal with weight loss. It's that time you, you subscribe to the food channel. Are you, is there something wrong with you? Notice that. If you want to deal with weight loss, you don't go there. Because you know that it's a, however, they will tell you this. If they're able to stay away from the things that produces desire long enough, you know what happens? The appetite that used to grow because it was being fed, all of a sudden the appetite starts to shrink. Your stomach starts to not want what you used to eat before. And so you starve epithumia of its strength. Don't give it to it. This is why Paul says, look, I know a lot of theology. I know a lot of theology. God bless me, abundance of revelations. But in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, he says, I beat my body under. Self-discipline. I beat my body because he knows that once people start telling him, man, Paul, hey, man, you know stuff. You know, if he allows himself to wallow in and submit, if he submerges himself too much in that adulation, he can have the pride such that whilst he is saving others with his message, he himself will become what? Disqualified. So he doesn't, he does not allow that thing to be fed. So the first thing is stop the bleeding, starve it. That's the first place where you, you, you fight. The second is, go back to that Galatians 5, 16. Remember what it then says, it says, then walk by the Spirit. Now, we're using food metaphor. So the last thing I want to say is feeding. If you are starving the monster, you feed the angel. Because stopping what's wrong is not where God wants to take us. Do you understand? That doesn't complete where God wants to take us, doing what is right. Let me give you an example. Remember in that Ephesians chapter 4 that we read, right? In verse 28, Ephesians 4, 28, let's talk about greed, for instance. Paul says certain things about it. Now, let me read it, verse 28. It's not there. All right. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those who are in need. Mm. It's one thing to stop stealing, but that's not where God wants to take us. You see, getting someone who explicitly steals from, you know, let's put it this way. I, four people, four people, let me illustrate it this way. Four people, please. Thank you, Tyro. Thank you, Tyro. God will multiply you. He will multiply you with fourfold. Fourfold blessing. I need another person. You will, that testimony, yeah. God will multiply you with a threefold blessing. Who is next? Who is next? God will multiply with will multiply with a twofold blessing. And who is the last one? Emmanuel, come here, Joe. The last one. No, no, no. Emmanuel, actually, sit down. Emmanuel, sit down, sit down, sit down. Tommy Singh, come, come. You know why you're Arsenal Jersey. And so the last shall be the first. God will multiply with fivefold blessing. Your club shall come from the doldrums. Your club shall resurrect. Amen. 
your club shall shall be great again. God help us. All right. Tyro, please stay here. Let us stay there. Olum de please hold this. Ah, no, it's too heavy. Olum de hold this. Go there. Light on, look at me, look at me. Now, this is Tomisin. Tomisin is a thief. <laughs> She's a thief. That's what she does. No, 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 no. It's mind you people. Ah, where is, where is that mind you? That, your husband should have been here. Mind you people, devil. Devil, you see a red devil, you saw devil here. You are still supporting them. <laughs> now, Tomisin is a thief. Olumide is sleeping at night. You know what Tomisin does? She goes, Olumide is sleeping, sleep. <laughs> Take his. his uh, leave the, uh -huh. All right. So, Tomisin has stolen. She now has a good. This good belongs to her, isn't it? It's now her own. I know it's illegal, it's wrong, but it is now her own. She has a lifestyle of explicitly taking something from people. But now, Tomisin has an epiphany. She has an epiphany. She no longer, she no longer wants to take things from people, right? She, knows, she now sees that the best way to stop taking things. She says, I'm no longer taking things from people. So she doesn't go that way again. Do you understand? What does she now do? She now works. She works for Lighton. Do you understand? She works for Lighton. And so at the end of the month, she goes to receive her pay from Lighton. No, no, no restitution. Your own is, God was punishing you for your sins. That's why I was taking for you. So Tomisin now has it. Wonderful. The one that used to steal no longer steals. That's fine. She stopped stealing. She has stopped stealing. She has stopped it. Is this where God wants her to be? Oh, no, but she's working. You see, the stealing was an expression of her greed. But... When Tomisi, now she's working and she has earned her money. Lighton paid her what was deserving of hers. And now that Tommy has this thing, you know what Tomisi does with it? She keeps it. She keeps it all for herself. Because Tomisi earned it. She earned it. It's her money. It's her money. And so she keeps it. She spends it. She splurges it all on herself. What has just happened is. The greed that was expressed explicitly through stealing has now been expressed implicitly through hoarding. <laughs> because what Tomisin doesn't realize, Solomon, please stand up. Solomon, please stand up. What Tomisin doesn't realize is that the way Solomon is, for the purposes of, this is not blasphemy, but it's God. It's God. The way Tomisin, the reason Tomisin can get this is because this God has given her abilities to be able to work with her hands. God has given her 
a boss, God has given her a place of work where she was admitted, where she was forgiven, her past record was taken away. It was all God. What is it that you have that you have not what? It was God that really, through Lighton, gave it to Tomisi. Do we understand that? In other words, it's not really Tomisi's money. By Tomisi hoarding it now, she has become a more respectable member of the society, but she is equally sinful in the eyes of God. The greed is still there. If you only try to stop, work at stopping something, you're not going where God wants to take. And eventually, your battle, maybe you may look better than others from the outside and for a longer period of time, but ultimately, you will fail at it. Because the answer and the antidote to greed is not just stopping greed. Tomisi is meant to work with her hands so that she can also share with somebody that is in need. As long as Tomisi continues to get and to give, generosity is the antidote to greed. Do we understand that? That's why God says that the person who is blessed is the one that scatters his gift to the poor. Take your seat. Generosity, the answer, the antidote to greed is generosity. The answer ultimately to the acts of the flesh is the fruit of the spirit. God is not trying to just stop you from committing acts of the flesh. God is trying to get you to produce acts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. But if you are so tied down in committing a lifestyle where you keep falling to the flesh, the first thing you have to do is stop the bleeding. This is how you fight the war. But at the same time, you have to keep in step and walk in the spirit. The best illustration, and honestly, this final scripture of this is Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Notice it says, walk with the spirit. Now, in Psalm 1, 1 to 3, it says, the one who is blessed is the one who does not walk in step with who? The wicked. Doesn't stand in the, in the, in the path of, of sinners and doesn't sit with the mockers. That is all don'ts. That is all stop. But that's not the end. His delight is in. You see, you fight, there is a defensive position the things you don't do. But you never win a war by just defending. You can never win a war by just defending. Imagine a boxer that goes to the ring and say, this boxer is so good. He knows how to avoid punches. He knows how to block. He, at the end of the day, the other guy without boxing, 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 he can't win the match. You must still go on the offense. And the way we then eventually affect the victory of Christ is by the things we then do positively. And I love this illustration. You know why? Look at verse 3. Because verse 2 says, He delights in the law of the Lord, delight and meditate. He only meditates because he delights. If you're having problems struggling reading your Bible, let me tell you, the reason is not just because of time scheduling. The reason is because you are not delighting in it. You don't delight in it. That's the problem. If you delight in it, you will do it. Right? Some people delight in the Champions League. They don't miss the match hours today. You make a schedule. You, you schedule what you love. But notice what he says. The person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves, leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. You know what sometimes we do? 
we want to produce fruit of the Spirit, but we are like trees that are not around the streams. We are like Christmas trees, and we want to put, we, we hang fruit on ourselves. But notice, the, why does the tree produce fruit? There is a tree that is meant to be the person. But why does that person produce fruit? That is the fruit of the Spirit, the act. Why does that person produce fruit? It's planted by the streams of water. Keeping in step with the Spirit is everything about who, what you do, what you do with your time, who you are with. So now let me tell you those things, this innovative thing of how you can keep in step with the Spirit and fight your spiritual warfare. It goes like this. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. If you want to grow. If you want to oh 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 read your you know why do you know why it has to be emphasized over and over again? We look at it, we say, all this children's stuff, all this children's stuff. If it's children's stuff, why do you keep disobeying it? <laughs> do you understand? God knows the thing that we need the most are the things that we run away from the most. And so he keeps emphasizing it. He makes it so simple. Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. That is how he's saying, don't try and put the fruit on the tree. Don't try and grow the tree itself. When you put the tree by the streams of water, it will grow and produce fruits. We attack it at the fruit level, or sometimes we try to create a tree ourselves. Jesus said, I will know a good tree by what it produces. But the way it produces it is because it has water. You cannot be that stream. God's word is the stream. He delights himself, and therefore he meditates. But the means through which you do that is both personally and communally. Here's the thing. Remember I said for the person that is uh, 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 struggling with porn, that person spends so much time on Netflix, that's where you start seeing all these shows, because now I can't watch Netflix again. Honestly, every show now is filled with something that will just grieve your spirit. You spend so much time on Netflix when you should have been at Kingdom Prayer Day. You spend all the time at work doing work that at 8.30 that you really, 8.30 p.m. that you really could be doing at 8.30 a.m., and then you now say, I couldn't make gospel community. What's happening? The more you continue to do those things, you are staying away from the stream of water. And then you start saying, I wonder why my prayer life, when I try to pray, and once you are struggling with your prayer life, I wonder why I keep feeling all these things. And why do I keep feeling all these things towards this lady? Why? And then when you are struggling with that one, then you start sending the text. And then when you send the text, then you start having the meeting. When you have the meeting, that, that's how you get into a hotel room. I say, yeah, what happened? It starts with staying away from the stream of water. Guys, let us not be deceived. The reason why the enemy takes a topic like spiritual warfare and excites us so that we think by speaking in tongues, and by battling all of these things, we are only winning. He makes us look at the external so much because he's very happy with people who cast out demons in Jesus' name, and yet who Jesus says, I never knew you. He's very happy with that because they have lost. Don't be like that. 
God wants us to fight. There is an external enemy, as we have seen before. But please don't be deceived by the internal enemy. Crucify it. Don't stay where you shouldn't be. But at the same time, feed what's right. Schedule your personal devotions, your prayer time, even when you don't always feel like it because you are the stream of water. When, the ch when church is doing the things that we are meant to be doing, don't stay away. Don't give all those excuses because that is like the thorns that chokes the word of God. Jesus has already won it. But don't be like that person who remains, whose muscles remain dormant and you keep falling in the day of trouble.